Welcome to Financial Insights COP26 podcast series in partnership with Pre UK. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Wherever appropriate, independent research, and wherever necessary, legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. The value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested. The Financial Insight podcast is for investment professionals only. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Financial Insights COP26 Daily Briefing Day 12, our final daily briefing. Today we have Kat McAnally, she is Investment Business Development Manager at Pru. Today we're going to be talking about draft day and what the next steps are following COP. Kat, thank you so much for coming on. Should we kick things off by introducing yourself? Okay, thanks very much. Um, as you said, my name's Kat. I'm, I'm one of the business development managers on the investment side at Prudential. I've worked for Prudential for about 15 years now. So um, yeah, seen it all. So what we've done every day previously is look at the major news items of the day. However, the major news item of the day is essentially that the draft text is still a draft and still has to be negotiated. Yeah, yeah, effectively, effectively, the major news item of the day is uh, we are still waiting to find out what what that is. Um, I think uh, you know we always knew that the uh, the COP twenty six uh, negotiations weren't exactly going to be straightforward. Um, you know when you get that many people together to to get some sort of answer and uh, um, you know uh, answer to all the questions is going to be very difficult and um right now as we know I think the talks are going to go in to the night and possibly over the weekend um so I think we'll probably just need to wait a wee bit longer until we get anything substantial so considering we are on the last day perhaps we can look at some of the highlights view of COP26 and maybe get your analysis of it yeah okay so um first of all I think um I think getting everybody together in Glasgow for COP26 has been a massive achievement given that we're off the back of a global pandemic. So to be able to get all these people together to actually address some of these, you know, really pressing issues um, has been an, an immense achievement um, and one that everyone should be proud of. Um, I think what's been interesting is uh, just seeing all the different communities and the different um you know, uh, organisations getting together to actually try and address some of the issues we have. So we've had Gretna, we've had, you know, royalty all appear in Glasgow. Um, I think I would agree, though, like we've had quite a lot of pledges. We've had quite a lot of um, words said. But for me, the interesting part is what comes next. Um, what you know, we, we've we've made the pledges, um, some of them quite substantial, some of them quite challenging, but necessary. Um, I think what I'm going to be quite interested in is to actually see what happens next, because we can all say we're going to do something, but it's actually carrying that out. That's going to be the big challenge, I think. Yeah, brilliant. Excellent. And then that sort of brings us on to what we were talking about before recording, which is this, what happens next? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think we can everyone can relate to this. So when when, you know, um, the, the, the delegates and, and the leaders have attended COP26 and and they've seen the videos and they've heard from the likes of David Attenborough about the, the issues um, that we face and they've seen the stats and we all acknowledge um, the, the issues uh, that we have and we need to fix. But when you go back to your day job, life takes over. Um, you know, countries still have to be run, taxes still have to be paid and collected. And I think it's going to be very easy for countries to, you know, 
start to focus on other things. So I think the biggest challenge is how do we keep this momentum that we have currently alive and how do we how do we encourage the leaders and the likes to, to, to continue on this path? And I think the biggest way we can do that is as individuals. So as an individual, you might not think you can make a difference, but collectively, if we all make those changes, um, then I think, you know, overall, we, we will be able to, to make that, that difference. So, um, yeah, I think it's up to everyone to, to really step forward and, and make those little changes that will ultimately result in, in, in a big effect, hopefully further down the line. So let's talk now about um, what are some of these changes that we can make and perhaps like uh, you gave a great analogy. I don't know if this is off the record, but before we hit recording, uh, you have a friend with a sustainable shop and that sustainable shop is great. It's marvellous, but it is expensive. And perhaps this is an analogy for like ethical and climate investment that is appropriate. And perhaps you, um, as you said, there are some solutions to this. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so um, we've done quite a bit of research at, at um, Prudential here around about sustainable living. Um, and, you know, it's no secret that if you choose a more sustainable life, it is more expensive. Um, you know, it is more ex- expensive to um, uh, resource sustainable goods. Um, so, for example, if, uh, you know, you want your, your clothes to be uh, sustainable, they, they are. there is a slight premium attached to that. Um, you know, if you want to um, buy direct, then again, that can come at a cost and not everybody has the ability to do that. Now, don't get me wrong. It, it, there are lots of ways you can be sustainable without it costing money. So recycling, for example, um, you know, taking your, your crisp packets and your soft plastics to the local co-op and rather than putting them in your, your normal bin, um, all of those little things can make a difference. I think what's interesting, though, is when you look at a lot of surveys and there's many surveys out there that clients have this desire to, to do good um, and a really, you know, sort of um, way that clients can do this is through their investments. So we find a lot of clients these days will ask their advisors, well, where is my money invested? So before, previously, people maybe didn't think about the companies that their money was invested in and, and what those companies, where those companies derived those profits from. But I've certainly over over my 15 years of being at Prue, um, have noticed a much higher awareness to clients asking, well, where is my money invested? Or if there's a company that's uh, all over the news with a scandal, I can, you know, absolutely guarantee I'll have at least a couple of emails from advisors saying, my client has asked, do you invest in that company? So I think people are more aware of this. And now just because we've seen a lot of regulatory changes in uh, Europe and from some of the the, the regulation that's come out, SFDR and the likes around about um, sustainable investing, I think that's starting to push more awareness and clients knowing that they can actually invest their money in a way that matches their beliefs. So maybe we can talk a bit about Prue's role in all of this, as well as the role that advisors have, which um, is very important. So if you think about, um, you know, if you just take Prudential as an example, you know, we invest money on behalf of clients. So advisors, um, you know, advi- recommend Prudential and we invest the money on behalf of their clients. You know, we have a duty to ensure that, you know, we um, invest that money in companies that are, um, you know, going to be around for a longer time. So if you think about ESG, you hear the word ESG, what what is that actually about? So it's environmental, social and governance. What, what does that actually mean? Well, it means looking at companies um, to invest into by not just looking at where you know how much profit they're making but how are they making that profit so think of it as reducing risk 
in your portfolio to start with. So if you invest in companies that are um, sustainable, so what do I mean by that? Well, companies that are going to be around for the longer term. So, you know, they're in, they're, they're, they're in industries that are um, here for this generation and the next. Um, you want to invest in companies that treat their staff well, because if you treat your staff well, then they're more productive. So if you've got staff that are more productive, then that's good for the share price of that company. And also, if they don't get, you know, don't, um, let's say, for example, employ children to go down mines or to sew socks or all these sorts of, you know, horror stories that we hear, you know, that that isn't good for a company's profile because that, you know, that's not the sort of um, company that a lot of people would want to invest their money into. So that would impact the share price. So treating your employees well, having good diversity, etc. Um, you know, can be good for share prices. And then the governance side of things. So, you know, it makes absolute common sense that you invest in companies that have good governance, good due diligence. And that way, you know, they're not as likely to be embroiled in the scandals that, that you see happening. And, and I, you know, you'll all know with, with um, media and social media, just some announcement about a company can have a massive impact on their share price. So by looking at ESG as a risk reduction um, factor in your portfolio, then that's probably the starting point. And then I think you have clients who maybe um, have, you know, preferences so they're maybe concerned about climate change or you know the, the global warming or they might be concerned around about um you know recycling or use of plastics or whatever their motivators are then i think you know you can start to match those preferences to 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 you know funds out there that are trying to fix those problems um so i think that's why you see a lot of funds these days which um are mapped to the um uh the the 17 uh, sustainable um, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals that you see, um, you know, because, um, you know, those are the world's pressing problems. Um, that's what we need to fix to make the world a better place for, for everyone. Um, and, you know, a lot of uh, investment firms will use that as a, as a way of sort of um, mapping their funds to try and fix some of those problems. I suppose the question after this is how much has COP impacted this? Yeah, um, so probably a bit too short notice to know how much COP's impacted it, but certainly since the Paris Agreement, you know, we can see, I mean, companies like ourselves are, you know, looking at where we invest our money. Um, you know, does it cause harm um, out there? If it does, then you wouldn't want to invest in it. You know, is it maybe just trying to protect the planet um, by not harming it any further, then that's maybe an investment that you would uh, want to look at. Or is it actually trying to make the planet a better place for this generation and the next? So creating those sort of positive outcomes. So there's many ways that, that you can look at it. I do feel though, and I, I know um, a few days ago we had like most of the big investment um, uh, gurus at COP26 um, to sort of give their two pennies worth. And if you think about it, I think the figure quoted was 8.7 trillion um, is under, under management. So, you know, we have a responsibility. We can make a massive difference by choosing whether to invest in these companies that are causing harm or choosing to invest in companies that are trying to do good. So, I think as an industry, we have a, a massive part to play in this. Um, so I think as a result, clients will start to see more of their investments become more ESG. So less of the, the big bad companies like the coal, thermal coal and the likes, and more of the of the more sort of sustainable companies that are trying to, to make the world a better place. Um, so over time, I think we'll start to see the shift. Um, but in the meantime, Definitely, I think what COP26 has done is, is, is raised that awareness. So, um, you know, and I think 
it would be you know wise for companies to to you know to to be able to meet that need so clients are thinking well actually you know we do have a problem you know we, we i do want to make the world a better place i want it to be a nice place for my grandchildren and my grandchildren's grandchildren and actually the way i can do that is by not investing in those companies that are you know potentially going to prevent that from happening so um i definitely think uh as an industry we have a a, a massive part to play in this and i think we will be um you know one of the main drivers towards seeing a lot of change to help towards some of these uh, you know uh, targets or pledges that we've made cat thank you so much for coming on pleasure thank you very much for having me if you would like to hear more from IFA Magazine's COP26 podcast series, please check out ifamagazine.com, where we have a dedicated section just to this podcast. Elsewhere, you can check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or, of course, Podbean. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.